Hey guys, welcome back to Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. I'm Chris Bercher. This is episode 17, S-U-C-K in the USA. And I want to preface that title with, um, you know, through a lot of therapy and positive thinking and sort of personal growth, I try not to be negative. I don't want this podcast to come across as just a whiny complaint session about everything that sucks about the USA. Uh, but I do want to ponder some questions and maybe get some feedback and more than anything, try to understand uh, what people are thinking right now uh, and with regards to what I'm about to discuss. Remember, you can uh, you can sign up to my email list or you can just sort of check my website, www.chrisbercher.com. Follow my YouTube can- channel, Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. You find me on Facebook and Instagram. And if you like this stuff, you know, leave a comment or, um, you know, if you don't like it, uh, leave a comment. You know, most of the comments I've gotten so far have been robots and uh, a couple of positives and several negatives. You know, I get it. Everybody's different. Um, and maybe that's related to what we're going to talk about today. But first of all, I want to mention, you know, that, uh, yes, I'm parodying the John Cougar who became John Cougar Mellencamp around the same time who recorded the popular song R-O-C-K in the USA. And, and you know, why that's even coincidental is that was one of the first songs that I learned how to play on a little, like, 20-key air organ. And I remember talking to my music teacher about the sheet music and uh, helping her sort of, her helping me sort of understand what it was all about. So anyway, um, I meant for the title to be a little bit um, enticing and potentially controversial, uh, because it seems like the titles of my episodes might be driving the views. But anyway, it is what it is. I don't really think America sucks more than, you know, a lot of other places suck, you know, and more than just the in general Buddhist life is suffering, therefore it sucks, kind of. Uh, <laughs> but it doesn't really suck. Um, and so the gist of whether or not the USA sucks, and I'm trying really hard not to say America. I, I, I've, I've caught myself in the bad habit of referring to the U.S. and ter- territories as America, and really, you know, there's more countries in North America than just the United States, and there's a whole freaking continent called South America. So, anyway, I'm talking about the United States of America, who currently are being led by uh, President Trump, and we have a lot of issues going on from uh, how we're handling the coronavirus spread to how we're dealing with healthcare to how we really haven't made a whole lot of progress with respect to civil rights in the last half century. So, you know, it's not a stretch to think that America or the United States kind of sucks right now. But to preface all that, um, this is a personal journey for me. This is my personal sort of feeling about what's going on in the world and what's going on in the United States. And I can't really talk about the world because I don't live anywhere else. I live in Virginia in the eastern part of the United States portion of the North American continent. And I don't really travel a whole lot, especially now. So my view is necessarily pretty ethnocentric uh, relative to the rest of the world. But I do try to enhance, you know, so I might have not have the world experience um, that I wish I had to really 
think about and process what's going on and and how things are in other places. But I do have the knowledge because I try to read about this stuff in as unbiased a way as possible. Um, But having said that, the most difficult thing that I have when I look at the state of my world today is how much of this change that I observe is attributable to true change, that the world is changing, or at least the United States of America is changing, and how much of this is just me, and how much of this is aging. I do this every day. I'm sort of like, man, pop music today sucks. And I'm like, wait a minute. Am I just the old man that doesn't like their kids' music now? Uh, Was I just more able to deal with Madonna on the radio in the 80s? And now I'm looking at the equivalent of that and thinking differently. Is that just something about me having lived? And it's impossible to tease those two things apart. Or it's not impossible, but it's I'm very mindful about trying to tease those things apart and trying to remember who I was, you know, at a different time period when I made these observations. And perhaps that changed my opinion of what was happening in the world. Like, you know, like, for example, I didn't really think a whole lot of... Uh, Bush, the second President Bush, which one is that? Um, George W., I guess, um, not Herbert Walker. Neither one of them, really. I mean, I, I was a pretty staunch Democrat during those days, and you know, I disliked those guys for their policies, and really George set the second, the younger, the son, because it just seemed like he was kind of dumb. Um, but now, looking back on that, I feel differently about them. <laughs> uh, still kind of feel the same about Reagan. So what changed? You know, that was obviously me. The, so there's a famous quote attributed to Mark Twain where he says, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't really remember it, uh, something to the effect of, when I was 18, my father was a real jerk and hard to be around. And when I was 30, you know, my father was a pretty decent guy and I liked him a lot. And it's amazing how much my father changed in 12 years when really it was the boy who changed. Nobody's going to argue that an 18-year-old's different from a 30-year-old. So anyway, I struggle with being able to even know if the world is changing or that I'm changing. And certainly both are happening, but it's like that classic statistical struggle of being able to attribute causality to something to say that A causes B uh, beyond just they're related to the same thing. So it's like um, saying that your increase in shoe size is uh, leads or causes an increase in your overall height. You know, you know those things are obviously correlated as you grow your feet grow and your and your height grows, but you never would argue that one causes the other. They're both caused by some proximal thing, but that happens a lot when we're thinking about how the world works. You know, we say that we think that this is causing this to happen uh when really they're both being caused by some other thing that you haven't measured. Uh, and there are ways to measure those things, but uh, in the end, causality is, is is the holy grail of trying to sort of prove, you know, or, or find evidence for a certain uh, phenomenon in nature. So anyway, I'll never really know. All I can do is sort of be aware and try to say, well, what part of this variability is, is me changing and what part of this variability is the world changing? So there, in there, it's difficult. And then the second part of that is also a statistical anomaly or, or artifact that makes this difficult is replication. I'm only one person. You know, in order to really understand causality, for example, or if A causes B or if something is a real thing, you what they always say, you probably learned this in high school biology, uh, 
you got to re- repeat it. You have to repeat the experiment again many, 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 many times to build up the statistical power so that you can say or conclude beyond a reasonable doubt that the evidence that you're finding is real. So if you think, you know, cough medicine suppresses a cough, you don't just try the cough medicine and go, hey, yeah, I'm not coughing anymore. That stuff works. The cough medicine causes my cough to get better. You have to do that thousands and thousands of times. And, and you know, when we're on the subject of medicine, that's why it takes so long for things to get through the FDA. Plus, nobody wants to get sued, which probably makes it take 10, time long, 10 times longer. But that's a whole other thing. Um, but in essence, you have to be able to try an experiment multiple times in order to to draw any conclusions about the relationship between the independent and the dependent variable. In this case, the dependent variable is my mind, and there's only one of those. So either I have to do things multiple, multiple times, and I can't be 20 more than once or for 365 days. You know, I can't be a certain age, but one time. So there is no replication. It's like uh, in ecology, you know, the study of organisms in their abiotic and biotic environments, we only have one Earth. So if we say we think we understand plate tectonics and volcanic activity, you can't compare that to 50 other Earths. You can't compare that to another Earth at the same time period. You only get one shot. And so really, statistics aren't designed. You know, statistics were designed for laboratory benchtop controlled experiments where all of the data follows a normal curve. And we don't need to get into all that right now. And very few times can you actually use them. You know, it's great for when you're trying to say, does these billions of bacteria in these 50, 100 Petri dishes react or die when you use this antibiotic? You That's a, a statistically sound experiment for which statistics were designed that you can follow all the rules. Most of the time, when we're talking about humans, don't even get into psychology. Uh, you There are variables we can't measure. Um, and there's only uh, a one chance for replication, which reduces the power of the overall thing. Um, the, so many of the rules of statistics are violated for most of the things that we use statistics for. Okay, aside, but the long story short, it's very difficult to have any power when drawing conclusions about how we feel about things or you know our, our individual lives. It's, you know we can even for humans, you can't generalize about human beings, and you can't generalize about yourself because you're changing through time. So we simply don't have good tools for determining these things. But, but we can still explore them. You know, it doesn't mean we shouldn't study them. It doesn't mean we should leave it you know to the side. It's just, and we can actually still use statistics, just sort of breaking some of the assumptions and invalidating them, and realize that. You know, you, the conclusions that we can draw are not as strong as we would if we, you know, were adhering to all the strict rules. Um, but anyway, I don't know how you would set up a scientific exper- experiment to study, you know, your feelings about the world anyway. And God bless the people that try to do it. And I feel a lot of empathy for them because other scientists sort of dog on the the social scientists and the, the psychologists who are studying these extremely hard to study things like you know, is how we change through time and how that changes our opinions and, and, you know, how our, how our feelings work and our emotions and, you know, how our mind works versus how our brain works. Um, it's super challenging. And so my particular dilemma that I'm discussing here is just my opinion is my opinion of the world changing because I'm becoming an old crotchety get off my lawn man. 
in the United States, or is the world actually changing? You know, again, it's probably a little bit of both, and let's try to try to assign the variability into appropriate categories instead of saying something like, you know, today's music is just dumb. You know, and even saying that, I understand that that's exactly what my parents told me about my music, and so maybe, and you know. People hated Elvis. You know, it's not, it's a thing, right? Old people don't like young people's music. And so maybe what I just said isn't really true and that I, something about me has changed and I just have a lower tolerance for that. Um, maybe that's more. So that's all I'm saying is let's, let's, let's back off our surety about the way the world is and at least admit that part of that, at least part of that is probably related to the difference in our individual selves based on time and age. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll never really know these things. And, 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 uh, and there are plenty of people who I would not understand for a second why I'm even wrestling with these sort of things. But the point of this is, is an analysis of, you know, whether or not the United States of America sucks. And I'll just sort of start with me uh, I feel like I have changed a lot since I was young, but I feel like the core of who I am deep inside the the most finite concentric circle of myself, I know who that person is. That person has been the same. I'm more aware of what that is now than I was when I was younger, and I don't think it's dramatically changed at the most deepest, you know, I'm I'm introspective, I'm sensitive, I'm empathetic, um, you know, I'm what you could also say things like wishy-washy, uh, a wuss, uh, mama's boy. I mean, however you describe it, I, I have these characteristics that have been consistent through my life and I haven't made any drastic shifts, you know, from like black to white or, or you know, the, the, it's all been a very gradual movement along the same path at my deepest sort of most basic self uh, and and I, I feel like I can say that with confidence because I have actively kept up with who that person is. Uh, I am just, that's how I am. Not everybody does that. That's no judgment either way. Uh, so I don't think I've changed a whole lot in my core. Now, I have learned a lot and I have been, I've modified my views and I've certainly, um, you know, if nothing else to become less angry, I, I would not say I'm tolerant. Um, because I'm still frustrated by thought processes and opinions that I can't understand. You know, I feel like I make a concerted effort to try to understand alternate viewpoints and try to walk a mile in, in someone else's shoes sort of thing. It's the empathy thing. I just can't help it. And sometimes I can't do that. And that frustrates me. I'm only so able to take on um, the emotional and psychological background of another person. But then I wouldn't say I'm ethnocentric. I don't think I, you know, um, think everyone thinks like me. I at least admit that they probably don't and then try to understand those things. Um, uh, so I, I, I try to become more tolerant, but I've also realized that there's, there's a threshold beyond which I, I find I struggle, uh, to be more tolerant. Um, I try to understand alternate viewpoints and sort of, feel out what the rest of my species, you know, my companions, my brothers and sisters feel and think. Um, 
but yet I still am frustrated by certain elements of that. So I guess in one way, um, I'm becoming more able to be a globalist, but in other ways, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm becoming narrower and more close-minded, I guess. So I'm changing, but I don't, you know, I think you would look at the path over my lifetime and see that it doesn't, you know, it's not doing one of these deals. It's doing more one of these deals. So I accept that I change, and I, and I think that, 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 that there's, a, there's a consistency and a, maybe even a predictability to my change. You know, they say that your liberal for lack of a better word, when you're young and then you become more conservative as you get old. And they say that being a conservative young person skips a generation. So if your parents somehow stayed really liberal or hippie or whatever, um, then you will probably be a conservative young kid. It's like the classic family ties. If you're, you know, my age where Michael Keaton, no, Alex Keaton, you know, Michael J. Fox's character was super conservative for a young person. And, and I think most people watching it were like, whoa, uh, but his parents were kind of hippies, right? So that, that, that's that scenario. But I definitely feel myself becoming more sort of fiscally uh, conservative as I get older, um, but definitely probably even more socially liberal. Um, but anyway, there's change, and I admit it. And I think I got a, a fairly good handle on it. Um, so that enables me to sort of couch my thoughts about the world changing within the context of how I'm changing. And I can sort of, I'm a little more able maybe than the average person to assess. And, you know, think about how you are in that. Or, you know, are you very um, type A and sort of stuck in your ways or whatever, and sort of unable to think outside the box. If, if that personality type looking at the world changing is probably more likely to say, Oh, it's the world that's changing and not me. And, and, and <clears throat> that sort of brings up the idea of like, whose fault is it? You know, a lot of people, and I, I know this because I do it and I'm guilty of it. Want to blame their problems on other things. And so you know, aging is hard and, you know, things like parenting and, and life, life stage, um, maturity, whatever, those things are hard, you know, having to go to work, realizing that you've got to go to work every day, um, to pay your bills so that you can live, uh, after you move out of the house for the first time is frustrating and maddening. And you, some people choose to blame the world for that. And, you know, I do in many ways. Um, and so is that the world's fault or is that your fault? You know, right? Like, is it, is it your inability to accept reality and being angry at that and misdirecting that anger at something else. It's that sort of dynamic I'm talking about. And all I'm saying is I'm aware of it where, you know, somebody else trying to do it may be completely unaware that this, that this is a thing. And, and that's enough about that. It's sort of like, okay, so, you know, what are my observations about what's changing in the world? And the easiest thing to pick on and the thing that I'm thinking about every day currently is, is, the United States' relationship with, with, with wealth and power. And on the one hand, and I, and I sort of begin this with a whole bunch of people were really frustrated with a, um, a monarch slash semi socialist communist i don't know what i don't know what the right words are and, and probably we use them incorrectly anyway the king of england you know sort of suppressing uh, uh, uh our, our our human rights so to speak and so a bunch of people said we got to go somewhere else and maybe 
I would argue all day long that how that process happened and the sort of genocide <laughs> of the part of North America that the United States become with the Native Americans was just one of the worst possible ways you could do that. But let's just ignore that for a minute and say uh, 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 our founding fathers and mothers were in a bad situation, needed to leave and start over. And so they started a new society, government, world, whatever, village, um, based on what they had learned in their former system to change those things. And so that began what America, what the United States would become. That was based on basically the Bill of Rights and what the Constitution became, if you believe it. And uh, that was a great start, right? Um, But is what we see today with respect to these rights, did we achieve that goal? And what were the artifacts of that path that we didn't know about in the beginning, didn't write about, didn't account for um, things like how societies change through time? It's like sort of like when the Bible was written, if homosexuality wasn't really on people's radar, or maybe it was, but it was so minimized um, that it was viewed as this terrible thing that was written into the Bible as something that's a sin, right? But maybe over time we understand that we're wrong about that and it needs to be modified. Um, and, and that's where I always get hung up on sort of the strict fundamentalists who believe everything, you know, is written like this and that's the law and it can't change. Um, but, you know, the Constitution was written to, to, to change, essentially, but I don't, think, I don't think the degree to which it would change was fully appreciated, and so it really wasn't set up to be a living document in a true sense. It was set up to account for some things that might change, but I think the major assumption, who knows? To me, it seems like the major assumption must have been that this is we're so smart and right, and this is how it's going to be, and since we don't really know what it's like to appreciate 100, 200 years into the future. It's like when you start a new business. You don't think on day one when the idea is spawned that you're going to do billions of dollars and that you should probably come up with some ways to account for you know, handling all that wealth. You, you, very few people think that. You, know, you just are trying to get through the first week. You know, Like, God, I hope we make a couple bucks. I hope we don't go broke. You don't, I don't think our... Just because there were humans, the founding, the founding anything of anything is thinking that big. Now, nowadays, people say you need to account for this and you need to think big. And people who have experience with doing things like that will tell you that. But who has experience forming a new country? <laughs> you know, who, who, who of any of those people? Had any, we're fighting wars at the same time while we're doing this thing. There are going to be errors made. There's going to be mistakes. You can't know the future. Um, and just my, I'm of the opinion that. The machinery inherent to the founding of the United States of America was not set up to handle the degree to which humans, society, you know, the system created would evolve. You know, most people probably didn't even believe in evolution, right? Things don't change through time. This is how it is going to be like this forever. Enough said. Um, My 
the reason I say all that is sort of a to assign a beginning. You have to you have to pick a point. Uh, it's arbitrary. Sure, you can argue that the beginning of the United States of America happened long before that, or didn't really happen until after that. I don't know. I'm just saying. We got here. We did a whole bunch of bad crap, but then we made rules, laws, governments, states, boundaries, all this stuff um, in pursuit of, you know, uh, quality of life, happiness, and essentially wealth uh, in a system that we can refer to as democratic and capitalist. That's all I want to establish there. I don't know that we all agree on what those words mean. I think those words, um, what's the, you know, bring up a whole bunch of different things for all different people. And we probably can't really think about them cohesively because they're so different, uh, which I, you talk about in my very first episode, you know, what's the truth? What's the facts? What's the real definition of capitalism? What's the real definition of socialist democracy or representative democracy? But that's what we got. And that's what we thought. And part of the, Part of the reason that is so ambiguous is because we can't even agree on what the words mean. I mean, for Christ's sake, forgive me, but a, a dictionary is not a book of what words mean. It's an evolving tome of what we think words mean. So we can change what words mean through time. I mean, I guess that's okay, but... If, we do, if we're all talking about a subject, let's say democracy, and we all have different ideas about that, what that means in the first place, how can you have a meaningful conversation about that without at least, you know, addressing that fact <laughs> on day one um, and not assume that we're all on the same page? But anyway, um, I see a lot of, you know, so that was the path we were on. I don't think it's difficult to argue that, you know, through time, like kind of like my own evolution of my personality, we stayed pretty much on that same path. Um, you know, we didn't veer to like extreme communism, um, although one might could argue that we have um, ultimately, or maybe did in the past, or, you know, or veer to some weird uh, monetary rule or, you know, we, we stayed pretty true, I think, to that path. But situations come up that we didn't account for in the beginning, for which we don't have rules, for which we have to make decisions, you know, at like the, the congressional level and the Supreme Court level. And yeah, we've got a whole bunch of rules that sort of tell us how to do this, but more often than not, the situation that comes up um, that a decision has to be made about doesn't really fit into the way we thought it was going to fit because that's just the way it is. Um, and then you, so you use the tools that you have because you think you're supposed to adhere to the, the rules of the constitution or the laws you created or the system or whatever, but those rules don't really work, but you got to use them because that's all you got, because you can't just say, I'm going to try this because everybody says, no, we got a set of rules and this is the way it works. And you were elected and you can, you can be fine, you know? So it's all just squeezing a round peg into a square hole, uh, every time it's very rarely, is it nice and neat? It's sort of like, um, your lawnmower breaks down, or you got a problem with your car, or you got showers leaking, or your toilet needs to be replaced. And you say, I'm a DIY kind of person. I'm going to watch some YouTube videos. And so you find a YouTube video. Maybe it's the exact model toilet that you've got, and it's, you know, everything you follow it, and you go, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And then you get the toilet halfway off, and you realize that a bolt broke, or the floor's not cut right, or your seal is older, and you're like, crap. And it's not as clear cut as you thought. So now, even though you thought you were going to just follow this system of rules that told you what to do that would lead from broken thing to fixed thing, 
some problem has arisen for which you have to deal with and veer off of the path. And then you can't find a YouTube video for that. What's happened. So, you know, you're in a new situation and you've got to come up with new rules. And that's, you know, that's how shit works. (laughs) That's just how the world works. It very rarely fits into some model where you can follow directions and come to the predicted outcome. Uh, and, And that's kind of the way laws are written. Right, it's like I always use the example of a speeding ticket, and I understand that speeding tickets were written for this rule. But it's like there's a rule you can't speed, but if I catch you speeding, well, I can decide right there whether or not I write you a ticket. You know, if you're caught, um, you know, potentially drunk driving or something, uh, and a cop lets you go or whatever, you know, you, or maybe you are you commit a serious crime. And through the weird configuration of power and money and influence, you get off. You know, it's not, it's not, who are we to even kid ourselves to think that we live in a system where rules aren't broken all the time and that the strict interpretation of the Bible isn't adjusted to fit one's needs for a different rising situation. It's just a joke. I mean, it ought to be set up that, okay, we're going to write these guidelines in pretty ambiguous terms with some pretty strict instructions about how to deal with that ambiguity so that you can solve a problem and, and write it in the spirit of what we're trying to do. What, what, is the, what, is the, what is the speed limit trying to do? It's trying to make the highway more safe. If you're busted going four miles an hour over the speed limit at two o'clock in the morning or no, five o'clock in the morning before rush hour traffic on some back road in the middle of nowhere... You know, were you endangering the lives? What's the probability of you killing someone versus doing the same thing at rush hour traffic and going 20 over the speed? You know, every situation is different. And the rules ought to be written to how to, how to deal with that. How to, how, you know, things like empathy and sense. <laughs> is, it, is it that we think people don't have those things? And therefore, we can't empower a police officer with the ability to uh, assess a minor judgment on a case-by-case basis. I mean, we're doing that already, but how come it works in this situation and not in this situation? How come if a black kid gets pulled over and he's got a you know a roach in the ashtray, they go to jail for 10 years? Um, maybe that's why we don't give them. Maybe we simply don't trust our brothers and sisters to make that kind of decision. And so every situation we get into, we go, ah, 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 we got to refer to this document that was written 300 years ago. But unfortunately it ain't in there, you know, how to deal with a bunch of rednecks that beat up a, a gay kid. That's not in the constitution. You know, we didn't even acknowledge those problems. Yeah. I don't know. Obviously I am not a fan of, referring to rules that were written in almost another language hundreds of years ago to solve problems of today. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of reading the Bible and strictly trying to say that that makes any kind of sense in today's world, especially when, you know, there's a thousand different opinions. You know, it's like, I don't like sports or know anything about sports, but John Madden, who was like a sportscaster, maybe he was a football coach, said, you can do anything you want with the numbers which basically means you can do anything you want with the words in the Bible. You can do anything you want with the words in the Constitution. That is, is true. I mean, that you can. Maybe, maybe it's an exaggeration. But 
language is is weak in that it is really difficult to, to not leave some room for interpretation or ambiguity. It's just inherent in the device, the tool. So we have to work with that. We have to understand that people are going to interpret that. And really what we should be studying on or trying to improve upon is the, the how that happens. And sometimes... You know, there's probably a threshold of concern where, you know, some decisions can be made by a couple people standing in the street talking. Some decisions probably need to be made by a jury of our peers. Some decisions probably need to be made by someone that we have decided, perhaps elected, um, to help us make those decisions. And so let's go there. Politicians. They should be people that are able to deal with these ambiguities in a sensible way, who have been um, vetted, for lack of a better word, for being good at being able to do that, being able to be, be, be fair and equitable and peaceful and understand the intention of the rules and the regulations and the laws and the things that we're trying to, 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 to spread out upon, uh, upon our citizens. That's, why the, that's how we should be selecting those people. Supreme Court justice ought to be the most diplomatic, peaceful, solution-oriented, thoughtful, empathetic, introverted, well-informed, educated, no, I don't say educated, well-read um, people. That's how we should select them. Well, you know, elections are really good ideas. But anymore, it's just based on money and power and relationships and a nepotism. You know, what do we hear about Supreme Court justices? Well, they just, they got to be appointed during a really, um, a really uh, 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 adamant administration that, that is either super extreme on one side or super extreme on the other side. They're the ones that want to appoint the justice. So we get people in there who are biased. <laughs> no. <laughs> you need to get the people in there who are the least biased. Idiots. But that's not how it works. I'm not sure it's ever worked like that. But if you really back up enough and you think about the intent of any of this stuff that we refer to, the Constitution and the Bible being the big ones, you know, state law and federal law and all these other sort of secondary documents coming after that, they should be about intent about dealing with ambiguity, vagaries, and unique situations, and about choosing, effectively selecting for decision makers to fit in with that waterfall of dealing with the vagaries. Instead, I think what we have is a very black and white system with either black and forgive me for using black in the negative sense. Um, I wish I had a different language to talk about this. You know, either, well, let's say either right or left uh, thinking. And, and what do we end up with? After almost 250 years of the U.S., right? You know, late to, yeah, something like that. What do we, what do we have? We got... A situation with extreme polarity. Well, no shit. 
It's not hard. I hadn't thought about this before today. I mean, just in talking about this, I feel like I've illustrated a pretty decent argument off the top of my head that leads us to the cause of this. Because that's how it's written. All the vagary, real life is in the middle, right? All we've really done is identified these endpoints, and, and damn it if those endpoints don't keep moving further and further and further away from each other. And it, the real real life is in, inside of that space. You know, unless you can, and this is, you know, we're sort of building the system. This is why it's getting worse. If you can surround yourself with people on either end, maybe you can pull the people in the middle to your side, but, but then shit happens. You get in a car wreck, right? And maybe both people identify with the extreme positions, but now they have a mutual situation that they have to deal with. And guess what? Nine times out of 10, they'll deal with it. It's like people say, these one-on-one relationships, everybody's really in the middle. But because of this left and right, I'm not going to say black and white, left and right thinking and having to choose sides, the identity politics is moving further and further outside the middle, but that's we're still there. So it's really like, you know, it's like the Sneetches, uh, the Dr. Seuss book. We're wearing a star on our belly, or we're not, depending on the situation, to separate ourselves in some visual way to say, I'm not that. I mean, it's so freaking teenagery. You know, one of the things I learned in psychology is that as we're developing our personalities, the first thing we do in our early to late teens is we, we figure out who we are by saying, I'm not that. And, and that's immature, but it's also effective and functional. You know, it's probably more honest to then that's an angry way of expressing it right i don't want to be that i'm not that that's dumb i'm smart um that's left i'm right you know whatever it is that's an immature way to do it but i mean a teenager (laughs) we're immature but more adults i don't know can we expect people to grow up is that too much to ask are people grown up? I mean, is it this, you know, I would argue that going back to politics, I don't blame Trump. This has been in the pipeline for a long time. And there's a lot of people who would argue that it started with Dick Cheney. It started in the Reagan era. It started post-World War II. It started with the New Deal. I think it goes all the way back to, you know, the inherent flaws in our humanity when we, we, the United States of America arrived at Jamestown or whatever, however that went down. We call it arrived at Jamestown. We don't know what it was like. There were no video cameras. Um, that's when it started. And all this is just an artifact of that. It's like the Lord of the Flies, you know? You know, here's the deal. Form a society. <laughs> you know? We attribute George Washington and Alexander Hamilton and John Adams and all these people was being these great people. They were just, uh, they were just people. They made a whole crap ton of mistakes. They didn't know they weren't prof- prophets. You know, they did, they did a pretty good thing. And, 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 you know, disclaimer, I get it. We do what we can do. We do the best we can do. I don't fault anybody for starting something that went shifty, you know, or, or not being aware of something you couldn't possibly have been aware of at time zero. But when you get to time 50 or 250 and you're making the same mistakes and you haven't set up a, a, 
uh, adaptive management approach to re-examining the value of your original idea, you, you damn right I'm going to hold you responsible. I hold the American government, the United States government, responsible for fucking shit up. Because <laughs> it did. Now, that doesn't mean I'm blaming any single person. You know, everybody, Everybody's at fault. We've all enabled wherever it is we are today. That's all our fault. And I think the biggest fault is, again, originally, there was no, there wasn't a good system for dealing with vagary. But more than that, you know, they tried, where they knew things would change. And so they tried to set up, they, whoever, the aliens, I don't know. Um, But more often than, more than that, (laughs) so it comes down to, was there, were there mechanisms inherent to the beginning of the United States government and society, country, whatever, were there mechanisms in place to deal with the ambiguity of real life and humans, human nature? Were there mechanisms to deal with the selection of the right humans to be to hold the high responsibilities related to enforcing that government? Were there systems in place for check, checks and balances of real-time situations? Were there mechanisms set in place to deal with adaptive management, change through time, a reassessment of the original, you know, probably. So the fault is that we didn't do a good job of admitting that was a living document, probably because a lot of people are strict fundamentalists and don't believe it's a living document, and that any life in the document is written strictly in it. Things like adding constitutional amendments. Um, that's a, that's wrong, I, I'll argue, I will suggest. Uh, and then the, the, the people probably, I'm trying to get myself in the space, didn't feel like they understood what they were doing. You know, I'm just thinking as a real person here. You're given some new responsibility. You don't want to look dumb. That's human nature. You want to act like you know what you're doing. And so I'd say the initial stages of the American political system, nobody wanted to look dumb. Nobody certainly wanted to question these heroes um, that had started this thing and certainly would say, probably feel like, wow, that's amazing. I mean, we still feel like it's amazing that the Bill of Rights was written, right? We still put these people on freaking mountains and carve them. So uh, I'd argue that, you know, we always felt that way. So those first, the second, third, fourth presidents, I'm sure they're not going, man, Washington was an idiot. <laughs> you know, there's probably that. Yeah. And it's just our natural inability to communicate well in difficult situations and deal with vagaries and make decisions. You know, all of that stuff you can't blame anyone for. But where's the mechanism to then go, okay, 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 okay. And I I think there are political analysts, political scientists, armchair um, uh, electorate that look at this stuff all the time and can pinpoint these things out and say, this is where we went wrong. But there ought to be a, you know, these people ought to be working in the government. And and the, the ones that are good, again, with 
a value system appropriate for and I want to use the word gifted, you know, a personality that suits that idea of government. Because to me, I look at politicians and the first thing I say is, why the hell would anybody want to be in politics? I know the, I I guess the money and then I guess the power because it all seems like a cluster. I mean, it all just seems like a whole bunch of arm waving and getting nothing done. Or when you do get stuff done, it's a bigger, creates a bigger problem than it did before. And who in their right mind would want to get involved with that kind of a mess? And I don't really believe in altruism. So I'm left with money and power. That's, that's not the selection criteria we want, uh, for people trying to deal with this. (laughs) It's irresponsible on our part. If we do value the Constitution and we do value the Bill of Rights and we do value the spirit of the United States of America and what we want to be, why hand it over to a bunch of greedy ladder climbers? You know? And really, isn't that what we ended up with? Not only did we end up with the right and left at the extremes and, and, and denial uh, that everybody lives in the middle and this us versus them, worse than it's ever been, 2020 covid I've never seen an us versus them quite as extreme as this to where for the first time in my life, I can't really feel like I can empathize with people that are 180 degrees polarized for me when I used to be able to get inside of and go, you know, I, okay, I get it. I understand where you're coming from. I just simply don't understand where a lot of people are coming from anymore. That's how extreme it's gotten. I mean, I, I haven't changed my skill set to be empathetic has grown a little bit, but now all of a sudden I'm unable to stretch which is something I do really well, um, it's bad. And and on top of that, the people who are governing us, for lack of a better term, are driving the system, arguably, in a direction that favors disgusting wealth and power. Well, say what you will about capitalism and democracy. Isn't that what we... Isn't that what it breeds? Didn't we get exactly, essentially, what we asked for? A divided society designed to be as such um, to promote excessive wealth and power in a select few. Don't we have to redefine what this is now? Because that's what happened. What does democracy do? Well, it... (laughs) It, it, it creates an, an unequitability and 1%. We thought it did this other thing, but it doesn't. Why? How can we change that? Should we call it something else? Do we need a different name? Um, do we need to take the power out of these other words like socialism? Um, do, we need to, do we need to remove the stigma? You know, what's the problem? It's like um, the definition of insanity. You keep doing the same thing and you get the same result, but you do it again. Who's... Unfortunately, by definition of our electorate and our um, representative democracy, I mean, I guess we could pass the blame off to our electors, the electorate, uh, the electoral college, and say that it's not our fault. Or we could blame the um, conspiratory, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Um, meddling, 
by Russia in our elections, and you blame them. But ultimately, it's all of us. And that's the flip side of connectedness, right? If we are truly all connected, then it's, it's, we all share the blame. And maybe that's why uh, people are um, not likely to, to admit or to embrace the idea that we're all connected is because they want to blame somebody else. Anyway, um, I appreciate the opportunity to rant. I would really love to hear where you'd agree and disagree and sort of help complete the picture and really get a chance to interact with people who think about this kind of stuff, who aren't afraid to sort of admit the system is messed up and, and to move past, you know, throwing your hands up in the air and giving up and just sort of the thought experiment about what could be. And I realize, you know, part of me wants to start over. Just wipe the slate clean. Part of me hopes that COVID wipes the slate clean like World War II wiped the slate clean um, and allow us to, like, really start over. And I think a lot of that's going to happen anyway. It's, like I said before, it's happening in the COVID episode. I talked about how it's happening with a um, little bit with race relations, but certainly with schools and public education, and just to a lesser degree, healthcare. Um, we really have to go, rather than sort of like fix the top 10%, we got to dig pretty deep um, and fix it up, go upstream and fix the down and fix it, fix the downstream problems from 10 or 15 steps upstream. I really like to see that happen, but I don't. I know that's unrealistic. We can't just wipe the slate clean. Um, but if we talk about this, if we admit the problems and figure out where the problems occur, and I've identified one, I think, the, the, the personality of people who get elected, um, that system is set up to favor, I would argue, people that desire power and money are highly motivated by those things, and that's probably bad. And learning to live in the middle, whatever that looks like. You know, surely there are smarter people out there who understand how things would currently work that can help reduce the, the, the polarization effort that's leading to the us versus them. Certainly we can downweight the power in the form of wealth and, and influence that politicians receive. You know, these are fixable problems that I think would go a long way um, towards improving the world and maybe removing the suck from the United States of America. Hmm. Let me know what you think. I'm Chris Bircher. Knowledge plus experience equals wisdom. This has been episode 17, S-U-C-K in the USA. I'll see you next week. Thanks for your time.